0: we're going to start in vienna where the opec plus alliance of oil exporting countries today decided to sharply cut production to support sagging oil prices a move that could deal the struggling global economy another blow and raise pump prices once again energy ministers meeting in vienna at OPEC's headquarters cut production by two or going to cut production by two million barrels per day starting in november at their first face-to-face meeting since the start of the pandemic. The move came despite furious lobbying from Washington who are hoping to keep gas prices down heading into the November midterms and to continue to put pressure on Russia and the huge profits it gets from energy exports. This is the diplomatic language from the Saudi Energy Minister, Abdulaziz bin Salman, who says the job of OPEC Plus is to ensure steady energy markets.
1: We will continuously prove that OPEC Plus is here not only to stay, but here to stay as a moderating force to bring about stability.
0: Now, of course, OPEC Plus includes Russia. The White House is not pleased. Here's spokesperson Karine Jean-Pierre. OPEC's decision uh, to cut production's quotas is short-sighted, while the global economy is dealing with the continued negative impact of Putin's invasion of Ukraine. It's clear that OPEC Plus is aligning with, with Russia with today's announcement. So are they? Joining me now is Rory Johnston, founder of Commodity Context. Thanks for your time.
1: Thanks for having me, Ben.
0: Well, OPEC meetings used to be big news. Uh, This one was the first in-person one in a long time, and it certainly didn't disappoint. What, uh, What have they decided and why?
1: Yeah, so just for perspective, this is the first time they've met in person since the beginning of the pandemic and everything that happened at that cut that kind of rescued the oil market. So we knew there was going to be something big happening at this event. And it's interesting because even even last week, this was kind of supposed to be a nothing event. It was supposed to be kind of a symbolic tilt uh, to support the price, but you, we didn't really expect huge fireworks. And over the last couple of days, The kind of pre meeting chatter turned tremendously bullish and deeply, deeply kind of fiery political. Um, So, what we saw coming out of this meeting, kind of the nuts and bolts of it, were that OPEC plus the producer group uh, agreed to a 2 million barrel a day cut across its quotas. So, it's headline production target. The reason that this is kind of less than it, you know, at first meets the eye is that the group across the board has been underproducing chronically for the past couple of months and as of august which is the last official data we have for tracking they were underproducing as a total group by about 3.65 million barrels a day. So huge kind of underproduction. You know, compare that to the 2 million barrel a day kind of uh, discussed cut. But because of the way OPEC works, all of these things are allocated on a pro rata basis. So kind of proportionally across the producer group. So obviously, Saudi and Russia do more than smaller producers in the group. So accounting for all of that and accounting for that underproduction – this 2 million barrel a day cut likely means something closer to 900,000 barrels a day. So more than half of the cut is erased by this kind of quota math. Uh, but still, at the end of the day, 900,000 barrels a day in a market that is definitely on the edge of flirting with tightness off off, off again and on again. And, and particularly given the fact that we have this broader energy crisis and inflationary crisis uh, the world is facing... Definitely does kind of serve to tighten the market, put a floor under the oil price, and obviously tremendously worry many many western governments
0: yeah the 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 politics of this is 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 always fascinating. just I imagine listeners will want to know about the impact you know we've seen price gas prices go up again in Canada this week, and last week, uh, what kind of impact could this have on canadian uh Drivers and and others, uh, given that the impact isn't two million dollar two million barrels a day, it's actually more like nine hundred thousand.
1: Yeah, so I, you know, unless we get kind of material changes in the rest of the kind of global economy, so you know, uh, sort of a let up in some of this financial market panic we've been seeing, a let up in some of this recessionary fear we've been seeing, and most acutely a let up in. China's COVID zero lockdown policy, which has taken more than 2 million barrels a day of demand, kind of the exact same amount as the headline cut that Obec Plus promised, off the market. If all those things came off, then we would be in a very different situation. I think that we would be back easily above $120 a barrel versus 90-something as of today or as of this morning. I would say all else equal this you know reduces uh, the risk of further declines in the oil price and maybe gives an extra kind of 5 dollars a barrel on the upside given everything else we're seeing but combined with you know, a, a return of Chinese demand and a potential uh, end to the U.S. Strategic Petroleum Reserve releases, then you kind of end up in a kind of a firework scenario where combine all of that with the fact that, you know, uh, the EU's effective embargo on Russian crude, you know, uh, is set to uh, enter force. All of that, I think we could, you know, there's a, there's easily a scenario that we have much, much higher prices.
0: Yeah, not a lot of elasticity left in the system, right? And not a lot of give uh, anymore if anything were to change. Uh, many people in Canada talk about exactly these kinds of scenarios when it comes to trying to boost domestic production uh, because of reliance on what one could call bad actors, but it's probably an unfair term. But, you know, OPEC, OPEC plus, Russia, Saudi Arabia, and so forth. Uh, do you think this fuels anything on that front in Canada, that discussion?
1: I think a lot of what we've been seeing over the past uh, kind of couple months, uh, most of this year really, is this kind of bringing back the idea of energy security to the forefront of the public discussion. I think the Canadian oil product production and investment intention has always benefited from that kind of turn. That said, Canadian production is kind of defined by heavy capex, so like front weighted big projects, takes a long time to complete. And I think that in some ways, that's actually what the OPEC ministers were discussing uh, and kind of citing today by saying, look, the price is too low now. We've gone too far to the downside with WTI under 80 and everything else that – we actually are now risking a lack of investment, a lack of production growth, and then an even tighter situation you know, next year. So we can parse the politics of how much of this was really an altruistic attempt to balance the market and support investment in non-OPEC countries and how much of this was a bit of a finger in the eye of the White House heading into midterm elections. I think that that, that is the debate that's happening right now. But I do think that The core of OPEC's point, particularly the core of the Saudi Arabian energy minister's point, is true, which is that we still aren't seeing enough investment, particularly in non-OPEC countries like Canada, like uh, the United States or, or elsewhere, to satisfy you know, a rebound in demand that we would have expected this year absent uh, China's lockdowns, and particularly if we do, in fact, see losses in Russian production after this December 5th uh, deadline in the EU.
0: To no longer, to talk about the politics, because the politics of this is fascinating. The Americans today, clearly very unhappy, or at least the White House is very unhappy about this. They had lobbied quite a, quite hard to try to prevent these cuts from happening. Uh, what do you think went on there?
1: Everything is happening at once right now. It's a very, very f- confusing time in the market. It's a confusing time in the politics of the market. I think first and foremost, so the U.S. Strategic Petroleum Reserve has been kind of releasing an unprecedented flow of oil, upwards of a million barrels a day for the for the, you know, the largest release in history. Uh, The reserve is now back down to levels we haven't seen since the mid-80s. So all of this is happening at the same time. And I think part of the challenge is that when that release was initially kind of agreed upon back in, you know, March and April, when we were at the height of our concern over the loss of Russian barrels following the invasion of Ukraine, I think that was very justified in that moment to try and, you know, it was an unprecedentedly kind of expectedly tight market. I think the SPR release made a lot of sense there. But then over the kind of proceeding, you know, the, the proceeding or, or the, 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 month since that agreement, Uh, and the SPR release began, we lost a huge amount of demand from China, and we really didn't lose as many barrels as we thought we were going to lose out of Russia. So I think at that stage, you probably should have pulled back on the SPR release, which you haven't done. So the fact that we see the SPR continuing to release at kind of full force at the same time that OPEC is considering cutting, now you kind of have very, very obvious kind of a physical manifestation of of this kind of loggerhead politics. I think that's deeply unhelpful for the oil market. An oil market right now needs, if anything else, a bit more stability, a bit more kind of predictability. And having OPEC plus go up against uh, the White House on this is is kind of a worst case scenario. So my my hope is that we do see the White House kind of pull back from that. But based on the comments, like you were mentioning, uh, very, very displeased administration right now in the U.S., uh, and as of yesterday, there was a there were, there were a couple of quotes about how the White House was viewing the potential of this cut that we've now got as a potential hostile act. So I think the language is very fiery. Uh, it, you know, what we saw out of the press conference seemed to be a a general dismissiveness of the White House and the kind of U.S.'s view on this. So it's a very, very, very messy time.
0: And I I was reading that uh, earlier in the week, uh, the White House spokesperson had said that the uh, Strategic Petroleum Reserve release would end at the end of the month as planned. Now that seems to have been reversed as well, at least according to comments from President Biden today. So this Loggerheads continues.
1: Yeah, I mean, that, that's, what's, that's what's confusing, right, is that initially when the SPR release was was uh, kind of announced, the idea was that it was going to kind of go for six months and end at the end of October. Now, this is the confusing part today, as we're hearing, uh, you know, tal- you know, a discussion of another 10 million barrels a day being released in November. But, as far as I understand, this is actually the same overall total volume they plan to release, they've just been releasing it slightly slower than they had expected, uh-huh. so that six okay. months is stretching out. But, at the same time, I think this is a great example. The market has so many things to follow right now. And each one of these things takes, you know, you know, an hour or so to kind of track down the specifics of what someone means. That is just a recipe for a lot of volatility, a very inefficient market. And someone like myself who's trying to catch it, you know, track it all down, very, very little sleep. (laughs)
0: Rory Johnston is with us this half hour. He's the founder of Commodity Context. We're talking about OPEC's decision today. Its announcement today at its first in-person meeting uh, in Vienna in uh, quite a while since the beginning of the pandemic. An announcement of a cut of two million barrels a day, um, and what impact that will have. Russia now. What? What are the context of all this? Which is fascinating is that obviously the West, Ukraine's allies, are trying to put a sque- the squeeze on Russia's. Energy import profits or energy export profits, rather. Uh, this would seem to fly in the face of it. And to make matters slightly more complicated, uh, Russia's deputy prime minister was in the room today, he was there.
1: Yeah and I and I think what's particularly interesting is I, I you know yesterday we got news that that uh you know uh, deputy prime minister Novak who is there representing uh Moscow was actually sanctioned by the United States. So this is like a, a sanctioned member of the Russian administration you know flying into the EU to discuss a oil production cut that is antithetical and has been kind of labeled as a hostile act by Washington. So this is like really, really kind of crazy moment in the kind of politics and geopolitics of this. Initially, even a couple of weeks ago when this was first being discussed as a cut, It was it was clear from the beginning that, you know, while there was definitely some concern from Saudi Arabia, you know, Moscow was doing the you know, uh, the lion's share of the pushing here. They wanted to cut back. They wanted to lift prices. They know that they're already getting huge discounts on their on their main kind of export blend, which is known as Urals. Uh, That's trading, you know, depending on the day between 20 and 30 dollars under benchmark WTI. How we do that
0: that that much.
1: Yeah, exactly. So this, you know, you know, comparing for people kind of out west in Canada, this would be the, 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 you know, the comparison here is like the discount we discussed with WCS barrels or Western Canadian Select. So this is a huge differential, a huge opportunity cost for Russia. But their point, their, their kind of goal here is, OK, well, if we're going to get 20 or 30 dollars off of our, you know, a discount on our on our barrels, well, what if we just try and push the overall price up and then we kind of wash out on the other side? And the other thing I think that has was weighing kind of very clearly in the mind of OPEC ministers is, you know, OPEC is a production cartel. Uh, you know, they never call it that. It's a it's a producer group. It's a diplomatic and a political group, but it's effectively a cartel. On the other side, I think one of the strategic errors that the West and particularly kind of the White House has made in pushing for this proposed price cap on Russian. Uh, on russian imports so you know not paying more than a certain amount of money per barrel on imports for of russian crude so that you can kind of keep the volume flows to the economy so that you don't have a you know exacerbate the energy crisis but you do stop some money from going to moscow and and further fueling the war in ukraine but they discussed it initially as quote a buyer's cartel here, I think this was a strategic mistake because as soon as you say that word, you get all of the kind of you know hairs on the back of OPEC you know ministers' necks standing up on and They're like, "Whoa, we can't tolerate another cartel in the market." So I think that was a strategic mistake, and I think that in very very blanketly kind of put you know, the White House and OPEC at loggerheads from the very beginning around this point. So whether or not this is truly to offset recessionary fear or a bit of a pushback, and like I was saying, a finger in the eye of the Biden administration for the, you know, what I think certain OPEC members would consider hubris uh, in attempting to to kind of constrain or control the oil market, I think it's, you know, it, it's still up for debate. And I think it is probably a bit of both. Oil and politics,
0: Rory, always fascinating. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks so much for having me on.